Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Pridemore. This week, we are doing our first ever book club and discussing the book, Tired as Fuck. Stay tuned. Do you love listening to I'd Rather Stay In and want to support the podcast? Well, now you can. Visit our website or the link in our Instagram profile and click buy me a coffee or visit buymeacoffee.com slash IRSI podcast. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us cover the costs of creating this podcast. There are no monthly memberships and you can support us at whatever level you like, whenever you like. Whether you buy us one coffee, many coffees, or simply continue listening as always, we're so grateful for your support. Good. You had to think about it. Uh, I was going to say tired, but that sounds it's... weird given the topic that we're talking about today. <laughs> the theme It's only today. that I, I'm only tired because it's like morning. Yes. And I have not drunk a full cup of coffee yet. So, but I was telling you the other day that I've been taking multivitamins like an old lady. And, and you've actually been taking the old lady multivitamins too. Okay. So I went to the store to buy these <laughs> multivitamins. I went to... I went to Walgreens, like a place where you would expect to have a large, large. selection yeah. of multivitamins. Like a full aisle just of multivitamins. Yes. Um, apparently, that is not the case anymore. They have a full aisle of, like, things, but they're not all multivitamins. Oh, some of them are, like, individual vitamins. Most of them yes. are individual vitamins. Okay. And okay. so I needed to find a multivitamin, multivitamin that had B12 and iron. And apparently, there is one multivitamin <laughs> that Walgreens carries that has it, which is the Alive brand. <laughs> uh, that always makes me think of, like, I don't know, like a 65-year-old woman puttering around in her garden, which I will be, but I am not that old yet. Right. Uh, You're not doing water aerobics <laughs> yet. <laughs> no. Although, water aerobics sounds way better than regular aerobics. I mean, yes. Um, and so I bought them, and I've been taking them, and I have to say I've been feeling a lot better since taking these <laughs> stupid old lady multivitamins. So that's my plug to take some vitamins. I try, and it doesn't really matter what multivitamin I get. They, like, make me super nauseous even if I eat breakfast, so I just stopped. But I also have blood work done a lot, and my doctor's never... Like, my vitamin D levels are what tend to get low, but he hasn't been like, you are about to fall apart because you have not been taking a multivitamin. So I'm just going to ride the wave until my doctor's like, I think you're falling apart. Yes. My doctor back in Texas was always like, she wasn't saying that I should take a multivitamin, but she was like, you should take vitamin D and calcium. Calcium mostly because you're a lady and apparently... If you're a woman, your bones just fall apart. They, like, I don't eat themselves or something. <laughs> I, I, it's very. Weird. I don't know why it's only women and men do not seem to have this problem. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Like the it's, yeah, it's the osteoporosis yeah. something something. I don't know. I, Sally Field really wants me to take Boniva. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so try vitamins. <laughs> they might work. They might work. <laughs> Wow, you're such a, a live spokesperson. <laughs> Good job, Megan. I'm sure there are other multivitamins. I mean, I almost bought a prenatal because you can take prenatals if you're not pregnant. Oh, yeah. It's fine. They won't do anything to you. They so won't do anything bad. They you pregnant. Yes. And also, they're amazing because they have yes. everything you need in them, obviously, for growing a baby. So they're yes. fine for yourself. Yes. Also, I think most people think that if you take... I don't know what, if they think you take prenatals, you'll like explode or something. But because a lot of those vitamins have like, you know, more than 100% of your daily value yes. nonsense or whatever. But you basically just pee out whatever you don't need. Yes. As with food. Exactly. That is <laughs> you true. You just expel it. Your body expels it. Yes. So don't worry about it. Yes. So That's fine. There's, there's our multivitamin plug for the day. Right. If you're tired, take multivitamins. <laughs> So speaking of tired, Megan, we uh, we both read this book, Tired as Fuck, by Caroline Dooner. I'm going to talk about it. Yay! Um, you found this, and you I think you 
Instagram sent me an Instagram message. You saw that was coming out, and I was like, oh, hey, we should do this as Podcast Book Club. Yeah. And so here we are. It's exciting. Several weeks later. Um, so Caroline Dooner, if you guys are not familiar, she started the Fuck It Diet. Um, and there's a book called the Fuck It Diet. There's a website called the Fuck It Diet. That's her Instagram handle. So like, that's kind of what she's originally known for. Um, and then she wrote this book, apparently during the pandemic, as she actually like references a couple times towards the end of the book. Um, and this is a little bit less so like, my understanding of the fuck it diet is that it is a little bit more of a self-help book um, and more of a guide to like living the fuck it diet life um, versus this book is a little bit more of a memoir, less self-help. Like it has some hints of advice, but it's not like here's steps one through five <laughs> of how to not be tired. Um, it's much more, yeah, it's much more of a memoir um, with some extra nuggets thrown in. Would you feel that is a apt description? Yeah, I would agree. And I actually follow her on Instagram now. And um, she was asking her followers if they had read the first book. Um, and if they had read, like, once the, like, people started reading the second book, mm -hmm. they asked, she put out a poll saying, did you read this one? Did you read the first one? Have you read both? Have you read none? And so she was trying to see like if people who had read both books, like if it was okay that you hadn't read the first book to read the second book. And a few people were like, actually, I think you should read this book first. Oh, yeah. Which makes, makes it does make sense to me. I have not read the first book, but like this book kind of like it talks about fuck it diet a, a bit. And so it kind of lays the groundwork for, like, your understanding of, like, how she got there, mm -hmm. I believe. And so that way, if you do decide to go to that other book, that one, like, it's, like, a more of a natural progression, even though they mm -hmm. came out in opposite order. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, because this book talks – I mean, it's very much um, – yeah, like you said, it lays the groundwork for how she got to the point in her life of creating the Fuck It Diet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense that that might be something where – I mean, especially if people – I would say, like, maybe if you're, if you've read, like, Tired as Fuck, and maybe you don't, it's not even been on your radar, that maybe the Fuck It Diet is something that you might need in your life, mm -hmm. um, that this book might help, like, kind of bring that forward in your mind. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I actually could see how, how reading them in, like, the, quote, like, opposite order mm -hmm. um, would work. So, okay, Megan, give us, can you give us a, a synopsis of this book? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like her whole life. It is like her whole life. It's, uh, well, first thing, I, w I want to say one thing before we like really dive in. I wanted to say that I really appreciated that in multiple points through the book, she addresses her privilege. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Because I know a lot of people, like, if you've read self-help books or like essays by famous people or what have you, like... Especially in the light of the fucking Kim Kardashian quote that came out recently about how people need to work harder and nonsense. Um, <clears throat> the fact that she, like, admits, like, her parents helped her a lot. Her parents, mm -hmm. like, really took care of her. She is a thin white woman. Mm -hmm. And all these things contributed to the way that she was able to handle what happened to her. Um, and I just really appreciated that she, like, addresses that. Multiple times yes. throughout the book and is like, look, you guys, like, I recognize that I have this privilege. Yes. But I also thought it was interesting that while she is addressing all of this and she's saying she has all this privilege, she's also at the same time being like, look, I have all this privilege and still. Right. All of this nonsense. Right. So I just really wanted to, like, make sure that, like, we are aware she's a thin white woman. Yes, <laughs> and so yeah. is she. Yeah, she's very, she's very aware of it. She's very, uh, she talks a lot about it. She's, you know, specifically at the end of the book, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, dives even deeper into like societal things that contribute to just being fucking exhausted and talks mm -hmm. about things that like may or may not be applicable to like her life, but that she like acknowledges are things that are sometimes impossible to change and yeah I, I also very much appreciated that and, and noted that 
for myself when I was reading it. So yeah, yeah. So basically, <clears throat> it takes us through like mainly all of the reasons like why she is tired from like her early childhood all the way to you know last year basically when she finished the book mm -hmm. um so it goes through like elementary school middle school high school college like the whole gamut and like outlines all the little tiny things that like compounded in her life that eventually led up to the point where she was like i need to rest for two years yes yeah, and she, <clears throat> she, you know, really starts off, like, she does start off, like, when she's very young, um, and she, when she was very young, she was diagnosed with PCOS, and by very young, I mean, like, when she was a teenager, which is really uncommon, mm -hmm. uh, most of the time when people are diagnosed with PCOS, it's not until they are, like, full-ass adult, adults, and they're, like, trying to get pregnant, and then they can't, and they're like, oh, you have PCOS. Um, so being diagnosed as a teenager is really unusual, and, like, that is what really started um, her obsession with dieting. Um, you know, she was a performer, and a singer, and an actress, and, um, you know, had this pressure to look a very specific way um, to get the roles that she wanted, and um, she just ended up doing this and she literally walks through every single like fad diet that she did which yes. was impressive to me that she remembered all of them because it was a lot of fad diets it was a, a lot of fad diets yeah there were a lot of <laughs> especially like when she started to get in like no oh, i'm a fruititarian and i'm like literally sure. <laughs> literally and you know so she spends her whole life going on and off these diets and her weight is yo-yoing and she's like trying to like cure her PCOS and also she's you know in the process she's developing disordered eating patterns and she's also dealing with like all of these other things in her life uh, that are really traumatic and stressful and she thinks that she needs to look a certain way and she convinces her mom to let her get a nose job when she's 16 and there's just like all of these things that happen um, and you know what was really interesting to me um, and I actually, I marked it in here. Um, so, you know, she talks about, um, pretty early in the book, she's talking about her PCOS. Um, and it's, it's in the chapter, how to focus on the wrong cure. And so she's talking about PCOS and, um, that the, the typical treatment is to really like hyper-focus on the weight loss, um, and diet, um, because their um, PCOS is connected to insulin resistance. Um, but, like, she, what she talks about is that, like, okay, so people, doctors often talk about, okay, well, you need to go on these diets because PCOS is connected to insulin resistance. But, and, you know, they're actually discovering that, like, cycles of dieting um, can actually make insulin resistance and therefore your PCOS symptoms worse um, and that no one throughout any of this was addressing her stress levels. Mm -hmm. Like they were all just so focused on what she was eating um, and what diet she was on and no one was talking about like resting and stress which actually exacerbate the symptoms of PCOS more than the actual like food diet regimen. Um, and I noted this, uh, and I literally like marked in here, I wrote UC because this is my experience with ulcerative colitis. Like obviously ulcerative colitis is a digestive disease. So yes, like diet plays a role. And a lot of people with ulcerative colitis and also Crohn's, um, will have like trigger foods. Um, so for me, I have a big problem with like really processed foods. If I eat a lot of really processed foods, then that will make my UC worse. Um, and for some people it's dairy, for some people it's gluten. But like the reason I wrote this down is because when I was diagnosed like pretty early on after being diagnosed, people were coming out of the woodwork to be like, well, did you try, have you tried this diet? <laughs> have you tried cutting this out? Have you tried this thing? Like as like, as if it was going to be a miracle cure 
instead of actually addressing my stress levels, which is way more closely tied to my UC flares. Mm -hmm. Like my ulcerative colitis is directly related to my stress levels. When my stress levels are through the roof, I flare. This is like a proven thing. It's proven across the board for so many people. And yet there were so many people that were like, well, just maybe try this special diet and cutting out all of these things and eating only I don't know, fucking cauliflower. <laughs> and that, that'll just cure it. Like completely ignoring the role of stress in the disease. And so uh, it was so interesting to me to see her have obviously a completely different diagnosis and a completely different like path to getting there. And yet hearing from people in her life and also some medical professionals, a lot of the same shit that I was hearing, that I mm -hmm. experienced. Yeah, I think it's, it's partially... Like, you were in college when you were diagnosed, but all, but she was in high school. And I think one of the things for her especially is that people just assume that if you're in high school, like, you're not stressed. Right. Like, it's a competition where, like, well, how could – like, especially right now where people are, are really – like, something will go bad. We were talking, talking about this during our toxic positivity thing where, like, just because – there's like war happening doesn't mean things can't be bad in your life. Right. They're different. So it's the same thing with that where she like was stressed in high school. And so people probably dismissed it mm -hmm. because of that. And I think especially when they're like, well, you know, you need to lose weight. So it must be a diet thing. I, I highlighted <laughs> some things. And one of the things that I noticed that she – and I totally identify with – in here is that um, she says, most of all, I want to be beautiful because that is what our culture told me was the most important thing for a woman to be beautiful. And then later on the same page, she says, she, she says, we equate weight with character and morality and personal responsibility because we see our bodies as simple and straightforward project without understanding all the nuance that goes into our relationship with food and all the factors that affect our weight. Yes. Yes. I, I had the same section marked, um, particularly like, well, I think I talked, I think maybe I talked about this in the toxic positivity episode too, of there are so many things that we equate with morality that have nothing to do with morality. Yes. Like keeping your house clean, being fat, like just maybe not being good at doing your hair or your make like. These are all things that, for some reason, mm -hmm. we're like, well, they're not a good person. Right. It has nothing to fucking do with that. They're not moral things. Right. It because, especially because it just depends on what kind of a person, what kind of a person, using air quotes, you are in terms of how that is assigned to you morality-wise. Morality because if a skinny person eats a bunch of french fries and pizza... They're, like, treating themselves. Yeah, and no if, one blinks an eye. And if a fat person eats a salad, they're like, well, you know, that's what you need to be eating. Right. And you can't eat pizza because you're fat. Right. Like, we looked at, right, like, we even, like, a skinny person and a fat person could be at lunch together and they could both order a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. And their server is probably going to look at them different ways for ordering a Diet Coke. Yeah. It's... 100%. 100%. So... Yeah, I this the and she talks a little bit more about the morality issue later towards the end of the book as well. Um, and I think I marked it there too because it just <laughs> like this idea. And I don't know that I had ever really thought about it this way until recently. Like that we are looking at so many of these things in terms of morality, mm -hmm. but it it really is how it, that is really what it is. Yeah, and even in the introduction, she mentions like it's it's still the same thing in terms of morality because. She's talking about exhaustion and burnout and how society in general only views people who are tired and burnt out and exhausted as weak people. Yes. Which is not the case. Right. But also, if you rest, you're lazy. Yes. So lazy. <laughs> it's so lazy for you to try to take care of your body. Guess I'm lazy then. <laughs> yeah. Um, the also, I also, I have marked here where she's talking about like just all the ways that we like numb ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because she talks about like it, literally anything can be used to like escape and distract. So right. you you can use any of those things. Um, and because um, she didn't understand how to like actually take care of herself. Like she didn't understand that things like actually having downtime and therapy, um, just being kinder to herself and actually eating more food were all um, things that she truly needed. Not just like hashtag self care, but like literally things that her body needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead she was, you know, she turned to things like, um, alcohol and, you know, this like diet binging cycle and like all of these other things. Um, at one point she like turns to twilight. She like, gets really obsessed <laughs> with twilight. I particularly enjoyed that, that part. Uh, <laughs> she drank a lot of Chardonnay and watched a lot of Twilight in one particular chapter of this book. And I texted Megan. And I was like, please enjoy that. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I also like, she also mentions multiple times, um, you know, this obsession, our culture's obsession with beauty. And she is very specific to mention that the obsession with beauty is an obsession with white beauty Mm -hmm. and white beauty standards um and I again like similar to how we appreciated that she talks about her privilege I appreciated that she called that out multiple times um and you know talks about you know she mentions um some other authors and researchers that have talked about like uh how the beauty of whiteness is social capital Mm -hmm. and that you know there's so many other ways to think of beauty versus this like eurocentric um thin white beauty standards that we've set in our society so i did really like that she talks and mentions that yeah and she talks about how we we've definitely turned this weird corner in terms of how we talk about bodies and everything's about like body positivity and everybody's beautiful but yet we still only reward that same cis mm-hmm. white beauty standard mm-hmm. even though we're supposedly accepting of everyone now mm-hmm. and also I've, it's interesting because I've also seen lately among a lot of I don't want to say it like fat influencers sounds like the wrong term and I don't think that's the right term but people who are not necessarily not necessarily body positivity movement people but they are speaking out about how like basically the body positivity movement i think is yeah the The body positivity movement has been like taken away not taken away but like it has been co-opted itself into something that is like deformed and Right. Still makes people feel bad because now, like, if you're not doing it the right the right way, right. basically, like, everything has to be done the right way because humans are garbage, basically. <laughs> like, so, it, it's, I think there's just this huge problematic thing in general that I don't know that will ever be fixed, but I appreciate when people address the problems. Yes. Um, the other... One of the other parts that I I, meant, I noted here is that the, she says, the obsession with beauty and looks is not only the burden of women, at least not anymore. Men compare themselves to impossible standards too. And because of that, disordered eating is getting a rebrand now that more men are jumping on the bandwagon. When men do it, it's called biohacking. It's a science for self-mastery <laughs> by treating your body like a piece of tech that needs to be updated to the newest operating system. But it's really just disordered eating. It's bad for us whichever way you slice it. It harms our brains and it harms our relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, the biohacking! <laughs> yeah, on that same page, she also mentions like women getting more power in society has resulted in men becoming more obsessed with their looks. Because they know that looks are directly related to power. Yes. And men want that power back. Yes. It's so depressing. It's really depressing. <laughs> um, I want to touch on, uh, she talks a lot about trauma. And uh, she actually does take a few minutes to just like talk about trauma, um, which I appreciated um, as a traumatized human. Um, and, and she mentions that, you know, a lot of us think that trauma um, is really just like, the really, truly horrible things that, you know, we hear about is this really 
you know, horrible car crashes and uh, attacks and uh, just, you know, like really just graphic, almost like violent things, mm-hmm. war, all of these things. Um, and yes, those things are, are traumatic, but um, that trauma is less about like what happened to your body and more about how your body processed or did not process it, which I thought was a really um, great synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um like, just overview of really what trauma is. So, like, literally anything can be trauma. For her, she had all of these um, surgeries on her mouth, at a, you know, throughout her teenage, preteen and teenage years. And you can be like, oh, oral surgery, like, whatever. But for her, like, they ended up being really traumatic experiences. And so she had all of this, like, medical trauma. Um, and so I think that, you know... Again, like, we often think, well, that wasn't, it's not super traumatic. I, I don't know why I'm really struggling with that. And it's because there's something about it that your body has not processed. Mm-hmm. So just because it wasn't like you weren't a soldier at war doesn't <laughs> mean that you didn't experience trauma. It just means that your body isn't processing something the way that it needs to or should be. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it also means that you should probably do some inner work to work on it. <laughs> also, that sounds horrifying. Like, her teeth were literally falling out of her mouth. Yes. that she, <laughs> it, I know. It's funny to me because, like, when she was talking about, like, all of her oral surgeries and then she's like, a lot of people would probably wouldn't find that traumatic. I was like, reading about this is low-key traumatic. I mean, that is one of the most common dreams that people have is nightmares about their teeth falling out. Mm-hmm. And... I could see maybe one hand where people would be, like, dismissing, oh, it's oral surgery, whatever, get over it. But for her, it, like, never ended. And they were, she was, like, awake for most of it. Yes. Which that was, was particularly wild. Like, I had, I've had a couple of, of oral surgeries, and I was put under twilight sedation for, like, the first one. And I woke up in the middle of it. Oh, God. And, like... They, the doctor tried to tell my mother that, like, I was making it up. And my mom's like, why would she make that up? Like, right. I, I, it was really upsetting. I was, like, in eighth grade. It was really upsetting. So, like, her talking about it, I was like, of course it's traumatic. It sounds horrible. So, yeah. <laughs> Caroline, it was traumatic. You can say that it was really traumatic because we absolutely understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. I know. I know. I know. Um. I think one thing she mentions that trauma it's so interesting because like a lot of stuff in the in the introduction I was like whoa like my I could tell already that I was gonna like the book from Uh the beginning but she mentions when she's talking about uh trauma and eating disorders and everything she mentions how food security is like one of the things that really triggers people in terms of eating disorders because and eating, a lot of the reason why people turn to eating disorders is because they need something they can control in their life. It's not simply a matter of, I want to be thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, it dep- obviously, it depends on which variety of eating disorder you have. But a lot of it stems from control. And if you grew up in a food insecure household or if yes. you are still food insecure, being able to control that situation is something that you can handle and it particularly hits hard among marginalized communities and Mm -hmm. yet they are also the same people who are not treated for eating disorders because because they're marginalized communities right and so it's funny that you said that because i was literally about to mention again we have the same brain i was literally so that was in chapter that was like in one of the early chapters Mm -hmm. how to become obsessed with food Mm -hmm. and then in a um somewhere toward the middle of the book, um, in how to not know you have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, she talks specifically about how, um, you know, she spoke with a registered dietitian, um, who specializes in eating disorders and is the only black dietitian in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, and you know, about the fact that there just are not enough specialized eating disorder, um, treatment providers, and quote, that hold the same marginalizations as the people they provide life-saving services to. Uh, clients oftentimes do not feel safe to show up their full selves. Plainly, our culture and medical field have a weight stigma problem and a systemic racism problem. She said, in order to accurately treat and prevent eating disorders in people of color, 
We must understand the ways that white supremacy and anti-blackness show up through every stage of the treatment process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like not only does food insecurity affect communities of color and other marginalized peoples, we then don't have the systems in place to help them overcome the eating disorders that come as a result of that. Yeah. Yay! Some fucked up shit, guys. <laughs> it's some fucked up shit. We don't have the, you know, the the mental health providers. We don't have the dietitians. We don't have the eating disorder treatment facilities where they feel safe to be, you know, truly themselves. Like, I mean, I have never experienced an eating disorder, but I can imagine that if you are going to, like, truly go into recovery from disordered eating or an eating disorder that like you need to be able to truly feel like you can show up fully yourself and you can't show up fully yourself. I don't know that you could fully recover. So there's a cycle there. Yeah. And the other issue there too, is that generally people who have eating disorders only get diagnosed with eating disorders. If you are, you know, the, 80 pound anorexic right and spoiler alert there are many kinds of eating disorders from people of all shapes and sizes and um one of our favorite podcasts (laughs) all the fucking time maintenance phase has a podcast episode about this so while caroline also talks about it in this book uh maintenance phase has a whole episode on eating disorders and talking about the stigma Mm -hmm. that prevents so many people who are not, you know, emaciated mm-hmm. from being diagnosed or treated for their eating disorders. In fact, so often, like, their eating disorders are almost encouraged by medical providers. We're like, well, you have to lose weight. Do yeah. Whatever it takes to lose weight. Yes. So. Yeah, especially. A, it's a great resource if you're interested in learning more. Yeah. So let's talk about the more like burnouty, yes, tiredness. Because yeah. once we aspect, once you get to like the the halfway point, maybe. yeah, it's like she talks a lot about like her disordered eating. Th- I mean, throughout the book, but once you hit the halfway point, then she really starts to dig into her exhaustion um, and just all of the burnout that she was experiencing. Because that's about the point where she graduates, um, and also where she really starts to admit, you know, okay. I've been an actress and a singer since I was a little kid. Like, mm-hmm. she was encouraged to, like, stand on the coffee table and sing songs to everybody at Christmas, like, as a toddler, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's literally never not been performing. Right. But about the halfway point in the book is when she finally admits, like, I hate auditioning. <laughs> it's so stressful. I really, really hate it. I just, it's absolutely horrible. Like, I enjoy being on stage. But the auditioning process is so terrible, and that's when you kind of start to see the cracks form in, like, her maybe thinking, like, my career and the thing that I've built my entire life around might really be the thing that's, like, breaking me down. Yeah, and I think, one like, one of her key, like, transition points is when she goes to school in Dublin. Yeah. And she reads a book called A New Earth by Eckhart. I don't know if it's Eckhart Tolle or Tolle. Never. Either way. Either way. Pick one. Um, And so she had been reading, like, obviously she read all those diet books and she was reading self-help books. So she read this one. And she said that he makes a very important point. Mm-hmm. And it's that... We are not our thoughts. And our thoughts make us miserable. Our thoughts happen, but they are not us. And they are not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And we experience a lot of misery by identifying with our thoughts what he calls our egos. So being able to just notice that our thoughts are happening and they are not us is a really important habit. And I was like, mind, mind blown. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is... I talk about this so much with my therapist of like, okay, like this is so much a part of of a mindfulness practice of, okay, you have these like 
somewhat self-destructive thoughts, mm-hmm. like you can notice the thought and just be like, and there's that thought. Mm-hmm. And like let it float on by. I think it's interesting that we are so easily accepting of like the crazy shit we dream about at night, which clearly is not, I don't know where it comes from, what it is, but like clearly those are not really your thoughts. Right. (laughs) We're very accepting of what happens in a dream, but if you have a random thought while you're awake, it's immediately like blown into whatever Yes. Because you're awake, so therefore it must be yes. a real thing that you need to address immediately. Right. We take this, like, we take this, like, imposed morality that we've put on all of these other things in life, <laughs> and then, like, we put them on our thoughts. And so, like, oh, well, now, and then you spiral out, and you think all of these terrible things about yourself, or, like, whatever, instead of, like, just noticing your thought, and then, oh. There it goes. Yeah. Off like a little balloon. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. I was thinking, I thought about that when I read that passage too. And I mean, she, she also like notes that some of the rest of the book did not work for her. You know, this is one of those right, like, right. take what works and leave the rest. Um, but for her, like that, that particular um, idea was really important for her. She also notes after she's decided, I'm going to not act. I'm going to just get a regular old, like, boring job and just do that and just kind of live which I really resonated with and when I went to the post office yesterday I was like the post office is hiring maybe I should go work at the post office and I'm like what am I doing (laughs) like that sounds like a really boring like mundane I just go through my day kind of job like no I don't very distracted but um I thought it was interesting that she's like she took this job like no aspirations like, just going to do this job, and it's fine. And it's a real, like, hard thing for people to get their mind around. Because as she notes, like, millennials and, like, like the later end of Gen X, which is what I am, like, we have this pressure to be super successful because of Instagram yes. and other social medias, basically. But we're, like, constantly comparing ourselves to people who are successful And she makes this really important point in that just being alive is enough. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to just be an average person. Like, not everybody, not all the 8 billion people on this planet are going to be remarkable and amazing and super famous. Like, you can just be a person. Yes. And just the fact that you are a person, like... That's pretty fucking amazing. It's pretty fucking amazing. Like, you could be a butterfly who has a lifespan of a month. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> person. Yeah. I, it, that was, um, yeah, you know, and, and like, this idea, I don't know. I was, I just really, I think maybe because I just, like, pivoted careers, mm-hmm. you know, like, she kept... She essentially, like, kind of kept changing things, and she kept thinking, like, I can make acting work. Like, if I change this thing, it's going to work for me. If I change this thing, it's going to work for me. And then she finally was like, I don't fucking like it. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, she's like, I don't fucking like this. And, like, I really, like, that really resonated with me because I feel like I have just, I've spent a lot of my career being like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be doing this thing, and I'm supposed to be climbing the ladder, and I'm good at this job. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm good at this career. Mm-hmm. And so I'm supposed to just, like, want to keep being promoted and get up to certain, like, job titles and have all these people under me. And spoiler alert, I didn't actually really like it at all. Yeah. <laughs> and when I finally just, like, said, I don't think I like this and, like, have pivoted to something else, mm-hmm. boy, am I so much happier. Yeah. It's, it's truly, like... I, I don't know. And I don't, I don't even think I realized that that's what I was doing. Like in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, I don't think I want to keep managing more people and like doing more things, but Mm. I'm good at this job. And so I'm keep, you know, I keep getting promoted and like, that's where I'm, I am. And if you don't like, if you say you don't want the promotion, then like, that's really bad. And like, I, you know, I need to support my family and I need to do all these things. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it was not a thing that I found enjoyable or like life fulfilling in any way. 
Um, right. So that just really, that really resonated with me. The other thing too, that resonated with me as a blogger, um, is that, you know, so she reads this book, The Artist's Way, and it really changes her life. Mm -hmm. Um, she's able to take a lot of things from it and a lot of the practices from it. It's, you know, she uses, um, these like morning pages, this idea of like, I don't I guess maybe, I don't really It's like journaling. Yeah, it seems like journal prompts that she Mm -hmm. does every morning. Um, and that is actually really how she uncovers like that her dieting is at the root of like so many of her issues. And like, she really starts to, you know, really come out of her, this like hole that she's dug herself into. But, um, she also, um, she talks about, um, when she, she, how to be in, uh, how to be a receptionist who's afraid of the phone, which made me, <laughs> um, cause that would be me. Uh, she said, thanks to the artist's way, I was learning that creativity just for the sake of it is healing in its own right. It didn't need to go anywhere. It, nobody needed to read it. It was allowed to just be. And this, I mean, like this stuck out to me as bloggers, mm-hmm. I think, because like in order for our sites, you know, okay, so we're food bloggers, in order for our sites to like be monetarily successful, we have to be thinking like strategically in what recipes we're going to create. And so like, is it something that people are going to be searching the internet for so that they find it so that they actually come to the recipe and then like see it and see the ads and it makes us money. Um, and I think it's really easy in our field to like just get so keyed in on that, Mm -hmm. that we also forget to make recipes that are just like kind of for us. Yeah, for sure. Like just recipes that spark our creativity and that we think sound delicious that aren't necessarily going to be like big money makers and like SEO drivers, but just make us excited about the food that we're eating and sharing with our readers just because it like means something to Mm -hmm. us. Like that was, it was a, it was a good reminder that like, it's okay if you're just sometimes just being creative and it doesn't necessarily go anywhere or you just like get in your kitchen, you know, at at least for us in our case, just like get in your kitchen and make a recipe that sounds really good and you don't write it down and you don't photograph it and you don't blog it. You just make a batch of cookies. Yeah. There was a lady in my, uh, not was, she is, she's not dead. (laughs) In the, the mastermind group that I'm in, she, um, just got married. And so she had all this time off from her blog and she was very concerned about like jumping back into it because Mm -hmm. it's, it's so much work. If you don't know about blogging in general, like it's, it's so much more work than you can ever think it is. Um, and so she's trying to figure out how to like, you know, get that inspiration again and get back into it and like, feel like she really wanted to work on all this stuff again. And I was like, look, just, just go in the kitchen and have fun again. And like, remember why you got into this in the first place, because while there are certain people who get into creative fields, like blogging to make money, most people do it just because they love whatever it is they're blogging about or they're painting or whatever their creative thing is. They're just doing it because they love it. And so reminding yourself that you like have the permission to just do shit because it's fun is really important. Yeah. It's life giving. Yeah. I mean, even if it's related to your field, like you can still do it and it's like without expectation, I think. I think putting all the expectation on it is what makes stuff not fun. Yes. I'm going to go and I'm going to make this recipe, but I'm also going to tweak it. I'm going to make it better and I'm going to do this and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out how to blog it. And then I'm going to like, just, just chill. Yeah. I (laughs) I mean, a lot of times I like to just like open up a cookbook or open up a friend's blog or open up, um, our latest issue of like fine cooking magazine and just like pick a recipe, Mm -hmm. not change anything in it. Just make it. Oh, it's so hard to not change anything in it. It is very hard. I don't always, <laughs> I don't always succeed on that. I, 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 sometimes I tweak things just because I can't help myself. But like, not in a, not with a mindset of like, oh, I'm gonna adapt this in a way that then I can right. do something. It's just literally like I'm just making it for fun. And mm-hmm. like sometimes Alex will come into the kitchen. And he's like, oh, is that for the, you know, the blog or whatever? And I'm like, nope. I just thought it sounded good. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he does the same, he has to do the same thing. You know, obviously you work in, 
but he works in food as well. And so like he, he will just like find like, Oh, this recipe sounds good. I think I'm going to make it for dinner. Mm -hmm. Like with no expectation of like, it's going to become some like fabulous thing that we just, you know, just, this sounded good. I thought, I thought it sounded fun to make. Yeah. I'm going to make a, I'm going to sous vide my own corned beef just because I can. And that sounds fun <laughs> to me. Like, for 11,000 years. Like, it just, whatever. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, that, that section, I was like, oh, how apt. Yeah. And she also, I mean, she mentions that while you're doing all these things, like, you know, everything about life is exhausting and tiring. And, like, seeing it all laid out in this book, and you're like, God, no wonder I'm so fucking tired all the time. Yes. But she also mentions, like, we don't live in a society that supports healing from exhaustion. Like, the only thing we see about exhaustion is, like, celebrities who have to go into the hospital and get an IV drip because they're right. exhausted. But you're, like, people who are busy and working all the time, like, that's supposed to be something good, apparently. Well, and even, like, she she talks a little bit earlier in the book, and I identified with this as well. Um, like, she was so severely anemic that she had to have a blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. Or I think I think maybe she ended up having to have, like, iron infusions or something. But she didn't have to have the blood transfusion. But, like, her doctor was literally like, why? How, how are you did, walking around? How did you walk around? My mom and I both had that exact same experience. Mm -hmm. um, where, and, you know, my mom, this was when my mom had breast cancer. Um, but, and this was when I was really sick from my UC. Um, so we were both like really sick, but literally we're having regular blood draws, mm -hmm. like regular blood draws. And we're also saying to our doctors, I'm so fucking exhausted. Like I'm so exhausted. And they were just like, huh, completely <laughs> ignoring literally right there in the blood work, like you are so anemic, you should not be standing up right now. Mm -hmm. And, like, for me, I ended up having to have, like, six weeks worth of iron infusions. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom had to have a blood transfusion. And it, it was just, like, it's truly mind-boggling. So it was almost, like, it was almost uh, gratifying for me to read that section because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, someone else has had this experience, too, where, like, literally you're saying to your doctors, I feel like shit. And they're just like, yeah. Even though the blood work is right in front of them saying they're so anemic, they're just ignoring it because they're like, well, yeah. I don't know. We just ignore, literally our medical professionals ignore it too. Or you could have the opposite problem where last year I was like, I feel, I'm exhausted and tired all the time. And then I get my blood work and it's normal. And then you're like, well, shit. Because <laughs> at least like if you can see it in the blood work and you know you need to get yes. an infusion or whatever it is, like... There's, at least There's a thing that you yes. can do. I, I don't know. I thought it's just it's just a lot. I don't know. I think about with like the burnout and tiredness and stuff, it's really interesting that you're just expected to be busy all the time, all the time, all the time. But then like study after study, she mentions this in the book, like shows that people cannot be productive. Right. For an eight-hour day. It's actually bad for your company's bottom line. It's bad. Like, you are paying people, apparently, like, the most amount of time you can be productive in any given day, at least in an office setting, is three hours. So you're paying people for eight hours. Right. You're really only working for three hours, which also, side note, explains why I can get so much shit done in a day and then just be bored, like, yeah. at an office-type job. Yes. <laughs> like, mm, I'm really efficient. Oh, this is... Okay. Yeah. Because apparently, like, I don't know how other people do it, <laughs> where they just kind of, like, spread out three hours of work to eight hours. I, I don't understand. I always got it, like, done. And then the afternoon, I was like, I'm so bored, I want to die. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild to me that we are still, like, promoting this weird eight-hour workday thing. Makes no sense. And it, it's so, the fact that she wrote this kind of, like, Mostly before, I think, the pandemic. Like, she yes. mentions the pandemic, but it was more of, like, like an add-on at the end. Like, none yeah, of the stuff that of happened her, in like, the book. Two, right. All of her two years of rest, like, all of yeah. this happened, like, well before the pandemic started. Yeah. She, like, she notices how things changed a little bit in the pandemic and people are working from home and resting more. But she also notes that 
that is like a forced rest. Mm -hmm. And it's very different. Like I noticed when we all were forced to work from home and everything, like a lot of people changed. I changed my life so much for the better. A lot of other people that I know did. But at the same time, I had like a lot of people didn't do. I had to be very conscious of the things that I was doing Mm -hmm. and the choices that I was making because once things started to reopen again, I think a lot of people were like, well, now, you know, it's time to go back into the ridiculous workforce that we have and back into the situations that were not necessarily great for me or for my family. And I had to make the conscious choice to be like, you know what? No. Right. I'm just going to do my thing now. And that was actually really hard for me because um, when I first, when I quit my main, my corporate job that I had out of college that I worked, I worked there for like six or seven years. My entire goal at that time was to be a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And then within like three months, I got hired at another job that I wasn't even looking for. And so I never really got the opportunity to like sit down and like purposefully think with myself, like, what do I actually want? out of my life. What do I actually want to do that is not related to whatever accomplishment other people think I need to have? Anything like that. Like what what's for me? Mm-hmm. And people don't really get the opportunity to do that and hopefully that is one thing that people will take out of the pandemic is like taking the time to do that, but yes. Who knows. Yes. Uh one of the last sections that I have marked here you know, she's talking about, like, okay, so she starts a fuck it diet, and, like, she, um, you know, especially at the beginning of that, like, business journey for her, she, mm-hmm. like, works a, she worked a ton at night, like, every opportunity, she'd say yes, um, every collaboration that people asked her to do, she would do it, she'd speak, she coached, like, she did all of the stuff, um, and, like, when she said, like, okay, well, now I'm going to rest, She's like, I had to be okay turning down job job opportunities and trusting that this wasn't my only chance. The same reason you should turn down a date with someone you're not interested in just because of a low-grade sense of panic and desperation. This is not your only chance. There are more chances. Desperation leads to more exhaustion. I want to trust that even if I rested and did way less for two years, life would still be waiting for me if and when I was ready to say yes. Yes. I think we just, we're like, we hustle. And it is, it's out of this panic of like, oh my God. If I don't do this now, there's never going to be another chance. And so we say yes to things that we feel kind of half-assedly about mm-hmm. instead of, like, waiting for the things that really make us excited. Yes. And one thing that I have learned from various other people in, you know, conference talks and podcasts and all sorts of things that I listen to is that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Yeah. And that is something that... People definitely need to pay more attention to. Like, yes, like, as we said at the beginning of this, she is able to speak from a place of privilege. And she's able to make these choices. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity that you have to be able to make those choices. And a lot of times we just kind of, like, go with things that we're not super excited about or super happy about we, can, we try to convince ourselves that it's exciting. Yes. Like, or well, can, I should be excited about this. Mm-hmm. So I should be doing this instead of... Right. Like, other people would love this opportunity, therefore I should do it. Or... It's also... I think it's also okay to, to think about the fact that, like, what maybe you once would have been super excited about, what would have once been a hell yes, does not have to be a hell yes later in your journey. Right. Like early on, particularly if you're like a business owner and you're just getting your business off the ground, like the opportunity to like, you know, be interviewed somewhere or do a guest post somewhere or a collaboration, like that might be really exciting to you because it's the first time you've been asked. And so you're like, yes, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And then like, as you, your business grows and you have more things coming down the pipeline, like, Mm -hmm. Those things that were once super exciting might not be super exciting anymore. That's also okay. You don't have to say yes to them just because you said yes to them in the past. Yes. Correct. Because that's growth. (laughs) Business growth and it's personal growth. (laughs) 
So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, she, she, towards the end of the book, she lists an incomplete list of exhausting things. Um, and she kind of talks about everybody has things in their life. Um, some of them are beyond your immediate control. And those are a lot of the, um, systemic factors. Um, you know, things like poverty and financial stress, um, marginalization and oppression, health problems. Um, there are some things that you sometimes can do things about, like unresolved trauma and mental health struggles, um, or being uh, stuck in uh, toxic circumstances. Um, and then there are things that you definitely have control over, but you kind of have to learn about them. So things like unresolved emotions, um, toxic beliefs, and cultural expectations. Um, so I thought that that was really um, helpful how she broke those down. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to be able to do something about everything that's exhausting you. Right. Like, you're just it's not. Impossible. And that's okay, but there are things that you can do. So even if all of these other things are completely outside of your control mm -hmm. for any number of likely systemic factors, um, like, you still could, like look inside and see like, okay, what are my own toxic beliefs? What are the cultural expectations that are being put on me? What are the emotions that are unresolved that I can work towards, you know, ex resolving? Um, and how can I, how can I work on those? Um, because, you know, again, like she mentions like, it's, and it wasn't like she wasn't working those two years where she's right. like, I'm going to rest. Like, it's not like she literally just stayed in bed and like slept for two years. Like, she just gave herself the permission to say no to things um, that she had not previously done. And so, um, you know, that and that isn't even necessarily always the case for, like, people to be able to do. But she's, you know, she points out that, like, there are cultural expectations we can say no to. We can say no to our toxic thoughts and our toxic beliefs and things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciated how she, she kind of broke that down because... It does sound radical to be like, I'm going on two years of rest. Right. Um, and it sounds very, it sounds privileged and it sounds like a thing that most people cannot do. But it's, it's less of like, I'm taking two years of rest and more, I'm learning how to say no to certain things that are exhausting me beyond just like, oh, I'm, I have to work a lot or I have to take care of my kids or, you know, whatever. And the way that she put it also was that she was decluttering her life. Yes. So I love like that. she talked about Marie Kondo and like the you know what things that spark joy and I was like that that's a really good way to put it because everyone got really obsessed with Marie Kondo and like organizing their like surroundings mm -hmm. but using that same kind of philosophy in your actual life. Yeah, when she talked about how, like, dating just, like, was yeah. not sparking joy for her and it was stressing her out more than anything else. And so she was like, nah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I mean, I have said multiple times, if anything happens to my husband, that I'm, I'm, that's, that's it. it. I'm piecing out of that situation. <laughs> I have no interest in online dating. I have no interest in that Too whole exactly. hustle. Because it is a hustle. Like, yes. no. Yes. Absolutely not. Same. 100% now. Same. Yeah. So, yeah, when she when she was talking about how, like, I chose, I just decluttered that. Yeah. I was like, that is such a great way to think about it. Yeah, so it really is. What are, the, what are the thoughts, beliefs, emotions, nonsense that stresses you out that you can declutter? You can't declutter all of it. You can't get rid of all of your belongings. You can't get rid of all of the clutter in your, the, like, you know, whatever clutter in your life. But... Mm -hmm. What can you declutter? Right. That's interesting. So anyway, A plus, A plus Caroline Dinner. We like, we like you. Do recommend. Yeah. We, I would totally recommend this book. Yeah. Um, again, like I'm like meh about a lot of self-help stuff, but this was very like non-self-helpy. It felt validating. Yes. And it, I think it's because she framed it. It's framed on her experience and it's not like you should do this, even though the titles are like how to whatever. Right. Like she's it's saying a joke. It, yeah. She's saying it like in a, in a sarcastic way. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I do think that like if you are in a place of like trying to figure out what is making you tired, then like this book <clears throat> might be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. um, if you are somebody who, you know, like we mentioned earlier, like if you are somebody who has been struggling with um, uh, your relationship with food, but you 
maybe you're only starting to uncover that, this book might be helpful as a lead into the fuck it diet, which mm -hmm. again, neither of us have read, but um, some of her followers have said it was helpful to read him, read tired as fuck followed by the fuck it diet. Um, so, you know, I think that it could be a very helpful book, but it might, even if it's just like validating, I think that it's still a excellent read. So yes. A plus 10 out of 10 gold star. So, Steffi, what is bringing you joy this week? Um, so, a couple of my uh, friends in the adoption world started a business. They're two um, adult adoptees, and they've started a business called Post Resource to provide, they're calling them connection kits, um, to adoptees and adoptive families and uh, birth, birth parents. Um, and basically, it's like, kind of like a keepsake box and then you get um like prompts and stuff to follow that can just encourage like keeping um, communication open so it might be like um you know little like letters and stuff to send back and forth between um birth parents and the adoptee and things like that um and they so they took pre-orders in the fall and they just shipped it out and mine is arriving this week and I'm really excited about it because um, I'm really proud of my friends for what they've put together and I'm excited to um, see everything that they've done and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go live when it gets here it's supposed to get here I think maybe Thursday I'm hoping um, I'm gonna go live on Instagram and kind of show my followers what's all included because it's like a bunch of stuff. There's a really cool coffee mug in there I'm very excited about. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just a really beautiful box that I can put all of Eden's like keepsakes and stuff from her birth family in and she, like we can keep it in her room and she has like a special spot for all of her special things uh, related to her birth family and her adoption. Um, instead of just like having them like scattered around the house or like in a random keepsake box, like she can have her own, like as she gets older, she can know like this is hers and she can look through it anytime and stuff like that. So I am very excited about that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I, when we were down in North Carolina, I actually had lunch with these two gals and they, um, brought me like the prototype of the box and it is beautiful um they're like okay you get a sneak preview and I'm like oh my gosh I'm so excited it's so beautiful so um but yeah uh Megan what's bringing you joy um it's a little bit more frivolous but I am excited about spring I mean that is absolutely a thing to be excited about I feel like we talk about the weather a lot on this podcast but it's, it's because we live in the midwest and a lot happens uh <laughs> We have 87 seasons. It's been it's been real wild the past month-ish where, like, it's been really warm, and then it'll snow three inches, and then the next day it'll all melt. Yes. Um, but I think we're, like, you know, it's like spring now, basically. I think so. Um, yesterday, when we went out to wait for the bus, I was looking around where we had planted all of our tulips, and they're starting to come up. So yes, that's my little crocus are starting to emerge. I'm so happy about uh, that. We planted like 75 tulip bulbs in the fall. So I'm really, and they're all like different. There's like, I don't know, seven or eight different kinds. So I'm really excited to see like how many of them come up, which ones come up, like how it's all going to look. Yes. Kind of just like threw them out there with like no rhyme or reason into how they were going to grow. But there's like, um, Early season and then mid season and oh, late nice. season ones, so they'll yeah. like rotate through basically. Yeah. But I'm really excited. I love spring and the Midwest is so great because you just had a ridiculous winter and you just really appreciate it. You really do. You're like, oh my god, things are green. The bees are coming. Yes. In Texas, it was like, well, it's gray for like three months and then it's not gray, but like. Right. like Things do die, and you get new leaves and things like that, but it's not as exciting because That's it's drastic. just so continually warm there that it's not that big of a deal. So I'm very excited to sit on my patio again and drink my coffee and maybe get some work done. It's very... I'll have to figure out what to do with the couch that we currently use for podcasting because it is our patio couch that is now in my basement. <laughs> So that obviously that was a choice made by your husband. So now we'll have to figure uh, that out. Well, I mean, we had to put it somewhere for the winter, and we had the space. So I don't know. My son asked what we were going to do about it because he realized the weather was getting warmer, yes. 
and he thought we were going to get a new couch for the basement. Oh. And I was like, probably. that's ridiculous. That's it's a basement. Yes. <laughs> so we do have to buy a couch because we're going to move the couch that's upstairs into this room. And then that room won't have a couch. So. We. Good times. Adulting. Yay. <laughs> Now, we don't normally have repeat guests so soon, but next week we are going to welcome back Allison Grigsby Sweatman because she is running for state office. So we are going to ask her all about that process. In the meantime, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on your favorite platform. You can also follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at idratherstayinpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Bye. Thank you.